What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Brian Costa, and today we have a fantastic episode in store for you guys. As you guys know, I love to get guests on this show from you know all walks of life. I love to get baseball fans, football fans, some UFC fans to boot. I mean, I love to do it all, and today I got you guys again. Uh, obviously, I've gone back into the world of TikTok and Instagram and trying to find people over social media. And today, guys, I found a fantastic guest for you guys today. His name is Billy Pinckney, and he's and he hails from Little Falls, New Jersey. Billy, welcome to the show, man. Brian, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a uh, been in contact for a while now, and it's great to finally hop on the show. Absolutely, man. I reached out to you during the summer. Obviously, you told me that you were in the middle of a lot of busy stuff and. From what I've seen with the work that you've been putting in, I can tell it is extensive. So I do thank you for finding the time in your day to come out and come on the show today. I really do appreciate it. For sure. No, the summer was uh, quite something. You know, it's busy working for an independent baseball team, a lot going on, a lot of videos to edit and, and games every day. So uh, it's nice to finally have the offseason and be able to watch the postseason baseball. So that's always fun. Absolutely. So, you know, I will, I'm, I'm going to touch on that in a second. So we will be talking about some of the biggest headlines regarding, you know, all the postseason stories that have been going on so far and some other ones as well. But first of all, I do want to talk to you about, you know, how you got your start in, you know, all this, you know, how you kind of grew yourself from being, you know, from simply a bat boy to pretty much an entrepreneur uh, of your, of your own. So, uh, but to kind of take it back a ways, when did you kind of first become a baseball fan? I know, you know, for many people, it's at a young age, but for you, when did you first really fall in love with the game of baseball? I mean, it really started when I was young, uh, kindergarten, when I was five years old. That's when I really started playing t-ball like a lot of other kids. And it's something where I, I played baseball, then I played soccer and basketball and the other sports, like a lot of other kids growing up. And then at a certain point, uh, little sport, the sports start, you know, trickling out, they, they fall off. And <laughs> uh, eventually I just ended up with baseball. That was the last one standing in like seventh grade or so. Yeah. And I knew that that was going to be the sport that I would be playing for, uh, for the rest of my time playing. And then eventually that led me to other opportunities within the game. Then as a bat boy, when I was 11 with the New Jersey Jackals, about 10 minutes away from my house, same on the same campus as where I go to college. Yeah. So Claire state. Yeah. So talking about the, uh, talking about the New Jersey Jackals. So independent league baseball team in your area, how did you kind of get the opportunity to, you know, originally just become a bat boy with them? When did that, like, did your parents possibly know anyone in the organization? Did you know some, uh, some of the teammates, anything like that? How did you get involved with, with the uh, Jackals? Yeah. So it really started when I just began going there as a young kid. I mean, I was there just as a fan, like I said, growing up playing baseball, they were always in the community, the Jackals. And yeah. that's just something I just grew up going to those games and eventually got to a point where I was going there a lot one year. And uh, I was 10 years old at the time. And my parents, try, you know, tried to find out how it could be a bat boy. And I was really interested in it. And the next year I ended up having that opportunity. So awesome. it started, yeah, started that year in 2013 and I was 11 and, it just snowballed from there. And I was able to do uh, a lot with the organization. That's really cool, man. So, you know, when you, you know, you know, I kind of have some uh, similar, some similar ideas. Like I, I never got to the opportunity to be a bat boy, but, you know, talking about the influence that these independent league teams have in your area, you know, I'm from, uh, you know, a small town in Massachusetts called Sutton, Mass. It's about, uh, and it's about 10 minutes south of this, of the city called Worcester. It's a, uh, you know, and they have, they had two independent league teams during, you know, my childhood growing up and they were the Worcester Tornadoes and the Worcester Bravehearts, obviously one right. folded and then the other came in. And, you know, just like you said, they're all within, they're all within the community. I know for, you know, like they would have, you know, the mascot come to like state tournament games. They'd have, you know, you know, different players come out and it really is a nice community feel. So, you know, to, I, I do relate to that there. So, you know, when it came to it, you know, what were some of the things that you got to experience early, you know, with these players and, you know, was there, you know, what was the environment like there? It was great. They really welcomed with open arms, the players and coaches. That was really always the best part about being a bat boy, being involved with independent baseball was getting to know the players and coaches. And yeah. they were like older brothers to me at that point. And the one thing I really took away from that was being able to learn the game the right way. And when you're younger and you're growing up and you're trying to learn the game of baseball, there's going to be a lot of people who teach it to you incorrectly. A lot of people who don't know how to properly teach the game and they, they just 
aren't the right people for that. And luckily for me, I was in an environment where we were surrounded by 24 professional players <laughs> and a great coaching staff. And there's no better teacher than professional athletes. And luckily I was able to be in that environment and have the, get the wisdom from those guys and learn the right way. So that was, that was really one of the main takeaways for me during that time. And one of the main reasons why I love coming back year after year. Yeah. So I recently watched a video of yourself, uh, you know, kind of explaining, you know, some of your, you know, kind of how you got to the point that you're at now. You actually just posted a very recently and very nice, well put together video that you made. Uh, and one of the things I saw in that was that, you know, you ended up, you know, just starting as a bat boy, you know, very, you know, you know, you know, humble beginnings. And you then proceeded to, you know, get involved with me, with the media department there and eventually even got into, you know, making, you know, some of the, like, you know, helping put together a championship roster, you know, on the team side, how did that go about? So, you know, and I can only imagine, so I'll let you kind of answer that first. And then I have, and then I'll uh, give you a little follow-up. How was that experience? For sure. You know, it, it was interesting because it was really just a matter of, okay, I'm a, I've been a bat boy for a few years now. Yeah. I know I want to work in baseball at some point. I know that's what I want to do. I love the sport that much. And that was my main interest. It was just a matter of what would I do? And once I realized uh, I'm probably not going to be a player, I, I realized that it's an unfortunate development for all of yeah. us. It, it happens yeah. at some point. And, it, and it, I don't know what yeah. happened for you. For me, for me, I think I was probably like when you started as a bat boy, I was like, yeah, this isn't going to be for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, every year it goes by and you're like, you're looking at the competition level and you're like, okay, maybe one day I'll get to that. And then I'm like, no, nah, it's never going to happen. Yeah. No, like <laughs> for me, my fastball, I mean, I never pitched, but it just stuck at like yeah. 60. And I was like, all right, outfielder, and I'll try to be yep. something. And I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not easy. So I realized how hard it is to, to play at the professional level, how cutthroat it is, and it's how yeah. business-oriented it, re it really is. I mean, guys are getting released left and right and traded. And I really didn't want any part of that either. So <laughs> I figured I'll stay on the other side of it and, and do something fun with that. And it was a few years after uh, when I was there, I decided, you know what, I want to do something that not many people are doing that makes me uh, still be able to interact with the players. And that it goes back to my original point of being able to make relationships with the players and coaches. And I decided to start interviewing them. And I thought if I created a website, YouTube channel, somewhere where I could post it, a platform, it, it would be really fun to do. So it really started out as a hobby, just grabbing a few players and interviewing them. And it's like a memento for me that I could keep and that connection on, uh, on film recorded that I could keep and, and always look at in the future. That's and awesome. it really just evolved. It just evolved. And it happened to be that, you know, I, I kept evolving in what I was doing and the Jackals got a video board uh, mm. at the stadium. They never had one. And okay. in 2018, they finally got a video board and if you have a video board, you need somebody to create content to go on it. So it just, the chips fell perfectly where I happened to be creating better content. And it was just, it just fell right in my lap that I was the guy who could do that. And they yeah. were all into it. And that's when they first hired me technically to be a part of their staff and, and more of the front office side of things and the media department. Yeah. So then, you know, I, you know, something else you mentioned in your introductory video that I ended up watching was, you know, then from there you proceeded to, you know, also go to management and, and talk about possibly, you know, getting further involved with the team. You had talked with, you had, you know, talked about, you know, helping, you know, helping the managers and, and people, you know, put together, you know, a roster and do, and do stuff like that. Now, I mean, you know, I know that you can really ingratiate yourself with the team at this point, but I mean, you know, were you kind of nervous and, and, you know, upon requesting that, did they, did they come and ask you or, you know, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I would have been nervous to just be like, Hey, I uh, kind of want to step up here. You know, was there any, was there any of that feeling or was it just like a very, you know, nice, just environment there? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty relaxed. I mean, when I, it, it really happened around the same time, the whole player procurement thing in the media side of things it really meshed together okay the, the, the front office is more interested in me creating content mm -hmm. they really didn't care as much about the player stuff because if you're an organization uh you're you're not directly making money from mm -hmm. <laughs> finding players so yeah. uh, that was more of a manager and i thing with the field manager and i'll get to that in a second but they were they were more invested in me creating content but then once in 2018 
actually, no, it was 2017 for the 2018 season. Uh, we got a new manager and our management did let him know that I'm, I'm able to help him find players. And it was just something that I was always interested in because I was there for so long and I was able to get to know, getting to know what kind of talent is needed in this league. I was able to really recognize that. And the new manager, Brooks Carey at the time was all into that idea. He loved it. And so they originally, the management did originally put me in contact with him to, to see if, if I could help at all. And then once they said, okay, to the media stuff, then I ended up helping them find some players. And that year in 2018 was a, was a tougher year, but you know, I was able to find about what, six or seven players for that first, for that team that year, which that's was awesome. a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually really cool. So, you know, you know, obviously you talked about, I, I was talking about that role, but then, you know, going back to the media side, one of the craziest things that I think I saw that you accomplished during your time, you know, on the media team, you correct, you made a, correct me if I'm wrong, a two hour, I believe, or something documentary on the yeah. history, on the history of this franchise. So what, what was that? What, what was that like, you know, like to actually make a documentary and go into and go in depth with that? Like, like you know, what goes into that? It was very difficult. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot more. Diff- I did not expect that going into it. And I was young at the time. So right now, obviously, you know, my skill set wasn't as I mean, you're still young now, man. now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think of myself as old now, uh, but but uh, no, I mean, going back to the documentary, I mean, that was something where I, it's just a, like, kind of like a passion project. I want oh, to, yeah. I was like, you know what? I, I know these people I'm invested in the organization. We might as well, I might as well do something cool, do something that mm-hmm. no one's been able to do here. And, and I just love to tell a story of, of the history. Cause I, I was so passionate about the, the organization that why not? It's such a, there's such a rich, rich history there uh, with so many great things happening both while being there and beforehand with oh, all yeah. the other championships that were won. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to make a documentary. I interviewed like, I don't know, 15 people for it. Wow. I went to the the owner, the former owner's house. <laughs> uh, I did an interview with him in the kitchen. And then I went to Pennsylvania to get the, the old manager, Joe Calpietra, who's now with the Kansas city Monarchs. They just okay. won the championship in the American association. And, uh, man, went, traveled all over to get all these different interviews and I was able to compile it together and, and create that documentary. That's awesome. And, so, yeah, so, yeah, no. So when you were, you know, when, when it came to actually doing it, you know, you know, obviously, you know, the idea of, you know, a passion project and stuff like that, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it's easier to figure out, okay, this is where I want to start. This is like, you know, I can maybe get this off the ground and you have a couple ideas of where to do it. But when it comes to it and you, and you realize, oh my God, like I'm making something, I want to make sure it's like the highest quality. I want to make sure I'm not like, you know, kind of, you know, having any, having any missteps. I want this to be like the best like reflection of myself. When did that dawn upon you that upon you that like, Hey, like if I'm making this, I want to make it right. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's not easy. I just, I want to take my skill set at the time and do the best possible work, best yeah. quality work, because I wanted to be able to use that as something that I could show to any other future organization or, or network or whatever the case may be. So uh, that was what, three years ago, maybe four years ago when I created that. And then this past summer, I created another documentary, a shorter one. It was 16 minutes. And that you can see the quality difference. Mm-hmm. And that's something I like to see because you can see the improvement and growth. Uh, from the past few years. So yeah. that was, uh, it was, it wasn't easy, obviously when you create it and afterwards you, in my head, I pick up mistakes that I made and errors that I correct. And there's plenty of them, but <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tough on myself. I'm, I, uh, I feel you. I can be the same way. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very tough on myself, but you know, that's the part of it where you, you, there's always room for improvement. And Absolutely. I take that seriously. I'm always looking to, for ways to improve and learn more. Uh, because there's always somebody who's, who's looking for that as well. And that's why creating that was, was great for me because I was able to learn a lot from it and see what adjustments I need to make, make moving forward. That's awesome. So, you know, you know, being able to do that and then also having, you know, you had Billy the Bat Boys Corner, you know, as you know, like kind of your question and answers, and then you were able to therefore then go into making Bat Boy Productions, which, you know, I've, I, you know, one of the things I was surprised about is just how many different, you know, series and, you know, different things that you have involved. How many do you have like, you know, little like, 
like things like i mean i i got i got down to the wire like how many like littles like you have a bunch of them so like what are some of the different things that you have yeah i mean uh, the, the whole goal in mind with that was to create different segments to kind of attract different whether it's different audiences or just yeah. a, a certain demographic because i didn't know what would work what would take off mm-hmm. and i wanted to create different templates so the templates i create myself as well so I want to also show this is for future employers that I'm capable of creating different templates, the producing it. So I have my, uh, so I believe the Bat Boys Corner, which is my website, and yeah. I post this is my interviews and, and and all the other content that I oh, yeah. create. So the segments that I have, oh, man, I have <laughs> the Bat Boys Corner podcast, which is a podcast, a standard generic baseball podcast, pretty much. Yeah, and that's been slowing down because of all the other segments, but I also have tip Tuesday, which is coming back. Uh, it's pretty much uh, self-explanatory. It's, it's tips from professional players and, and drills. So some of the tips are actual verbal tips for younger players. And some are actual drill work, which is great for, for the younger guys. And that was created for the younger demographic. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, maybe some other segment that I have maybe isn't as, directly intended for them. Uh, but in the summer, I was able to get a bunch of great professionals to give some tips, whether it's pitchers or hitters to talk about some lessons that they have for the younger guys. And Absolutely. Todd Frazier, MLB all-star was one of the guys who was able to give us a tip and he'll, his will be airing in a few weeks, but uh, we also have, what else we have? Uh, I mean, I know. I've seen from yeah. your entire body of work. I saw that on, on your podcast, you've been able to interview guys like Zach Campbell. You've been able to, <laughs> you, you know, yeah, that was actually really cool when I, when I saw that you did that. Cause I also, uh, I had, uh, I'm in a podcasting class at my school, even though I've been doing this for a year, I, you know, I, I was like, you know what, might as well do something to learn a little bit more first year. The yeah, same here. Class, I was like, I was like, honestly, I'll get into it and I'll do it. And we were actually watching a clip of Zach Campbell, like just like in the thing. I was like, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. Like they were playing an EEI interview and like the, the teachers, yeah. like the teachers, like breaking down how they did the interview with them. And I was, I was like, that's actually like really funny that like this guy's now being like taught in classrooms. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Now, yeah. Zach, who, he was a cool guy. He was a cool yeah. guy when I interviewed him. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I listened to him on the WEI thing. I mean, sometimes you, you kind of, sometimes you only get like the polished version of, of guys. Unfortunately, it's like, you know, you kind of have to be kind of kept to a T. But like Zach, like let lo- loose on this WEI uh, interview is actually extremely funny. So I highly oh recommend, recommend checking that as well as your interview with him as well. So I highly recommend that as well. Uh, but, you know, you've been able to interview a bunch of interesting guys and you've been able to, you know, find yourself in some uh, interesting situations. One of the things that was uh, particularly interesting is that you've been able to appear on the Yes Network. Yeah. So every year the Yes Network hosts a show the yankees hot stove at the yogi bear museum which is Mm -hmm. right next to yogi bear stadium which is where the jackals play Mm -hmm. and they didn't have it this past season due to covid but every year in the off season they have one episode there and i've been going there pretty much since i became a bat boy or even a year before that is it just like a Q&A thing that you can kind of get in yeah, so it's a it's a show, a, a standard Yankees offseason show talking about the, the offseason so far, but mm. there is a part where they do have a Q&A with the audience. So maybe five members of the audience ask a question. So I first went on that show when I was probably 10 or 11 wow. at the time. And I, it's funny, I have a screenshot of my phone right now of, <laughs> of that first time, a, a, really? you know, a little kid with the hold on a big microphone. That's awesome. Uh, and I was able to ask a question. And then really every year I just kept coming back and it just happened to be where I was able to ask a question, just worked out that way. And at one point they ended up giving me a shout out on it the, the awesome. week before. And then when I went on it, they, it's like, Oh, he's back for, you know, another year here. <laughs> and, you know, it's always funny to, to go back there and, and see all the, the, those guys, the panel and they're, they're great. I mean, yeah. the yes network, they run a fantastic operation and they've, uh, they've always been great with me too. I will say this while I do despise the Yankees with everything in my heart, I can say that the yes network does do a lot of things. Well, Uh, so credit to them as well. That's uh, that's actually really cool that you're able to do that. So, you know, some of the other things I saw that you're able to do, right. You were able to interview uh, guys like guys like Michael Strahan. And that was like, that was, that was really cool. So as a baseball guy, how did that come about? Obviously I'm assuming giants fan in in the room. So 
you know, how were you able to go from, you know, interviewing a, a guy, you know, baseball side and are, you know, going from interviewing <clears throat> baseball players to football players? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I am a Giants fan. And it's funny because that was at the museum as well. Oh, really? That's and then he awesome. had a, I believe he had a book signing okay, that nice. day. They have a lot of book signings. That's where I did a lot of interviews, but Sick. I honestly don't know how I pulled that one off. <laughs> I don't know how I got them. I just had some questions written down uh, relating to the Super Bowl, football in general. Oh, yeah, Nothing yeah, yeah. too crazy, but yeah, his security that everybody was trying to rush him away and get him out of there ASAP, just like every other event, probably. Oh, yeah. And and luckily he's, he's, he said, yeah, we'll do it real quick. And, and we were able to bang it out. And that was really fun. That was really cool. He's a cool guy. That's and, good uh, stuff, man. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, w- would he probably be the coolest guy that you've probably gotten on your show or, or, you know, if you've been gotten the chance to interview or who would, if not, if not him, who would you think, you know, it may not even be the most popular person, but you know, who is probably like the most, you know, the best interview that you've had. You know, I'll give you a couple. Uh, right. Strahan was cool. Yeah. Uh, Nick can, Swisher I, was one of the, yeah. Nick, Nick Swisher, Swisher was one of the coolest guys when I saw him in AAA right before he retired. With oh, the Yankees really? did That's it awesome. on the field and he was just, I love the energy. I love the enthusiasm that he brings. And he, that was a really fun interview. He's a, he's a crazy dude. I love him. Oh yeah. I love it. I mean, and then even as a Sox fan, he, he had some, he has some energy that you just can't like, you can't. Yeah. It's a fan favorite. You can't deny oh, yeah. that. Yeah. That's great. And then the last one, the, the, probably the best interview was actually one of the last ones that I did right before the Jackal season ended with Todd Isaacs. And he's actually the co-founder of the don't blink home run derby which is in the bahamas every year and they hit balls into the water in the in the bahamas and it's it's, it's beautiful it is beautiful and they have these vibrant colorful jerseys that they wear and is decked out in all these all gear and i had him on boba shet won actually the derby the last time that they had it oh that's dope (laughs) but no he he was great we it was a half hour interview in the dugout and he literally opened up his life story, being from the Bahamas, getting drafted, playing in indie ball, playing in pro ball, and the experiences and relationships he made with guys. And we really, it was a deep dive. And, and that was really a, a solid interview, which was the first episode of Dugout Talk, which was another segment that I created. So Dude, you are a jack of all trades, my guy. That's yeah, insane. you know, it's, <laughs> it's something I try to do, you know, creating content you know i like to be known as a content creator being able to be versatile with it and do what i can to make us put together a production and whether it's me in front of the camera editing producing whatever it is i just i'm just trying to improve all all those facets absolutely man so you know you know going forward with bat boy productions and yourself in general what are some of the you know what do you want to do next i mean obviously you have the goal of trying to work with you know some you want to work in baseball at some point, but you know, what is like the next goal that you have, you know, for yourself? Yeah. So bat boy productions is a production company I created about a year ago mm-hmm. on my birthday when I was 18. So it's starting to ramp up more. Now we're getting more into it. And the goal is to focus on youth sports teams, local teams, um, you know, the different rec centers around here, getting younger players, some videos made similar to what I've done with the Jackals. That's so awesome. get them in front of the green screen, and have them wiggle the bat around if they're a baseball player. If they're, I don't know, a soccer player, they could do something with the ball and the football players, et cetera, okay. and create something nice for them, like uh, a nice memento for their families and, and for them to have on social media. And then also serving local businesses, creating short commercials or promos for them. So that's the whole point around that. A nice small business family type of a production company where I could create some nice content for for people in the area. And then, but aside, as far as what I want to do with baseball and media <clears throat> uh, network would be fantastic working with the network. Uh, MLB is 20 minutes from me. Yes. Network. They, you know, I I've been able to get to know them pretty well. So we'll see what happens. I'm weighing out all my options right now. Uh, it's been a interesting off season so far. I'm just trying to <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be i'll make sure to i'll make sure to talk with you about that so yeah there's definitely some interesting things that i want to get your take on. oh yeah 100 so, sure. <laughs> but before so, we do but before we do get into that i do want to talk about the two big postseason series going on right now and that obviously is the red Sox and astros and the dodgers and the braves uh red Sox astros right now uh you know listen i hate the people that 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 say like momentum you know like like I was talking to people in class, you know, obviously not now. Yes, 
actually no it was yesterday correction so i was in my i was in that podcasting class and my and my teacher who is who is actually a yankees fan he's a yankee fan but a, but also a patriot fan because he's in that like weird sect of rhode island where interesting it, where a it's it's that weird part of Rhode Island where a lot of things it's like half and half and it's a very just odd development but uh, really great professor Mike Monacavo you know obviously is a amazing professor but he uh, but you know I walk in a class with, and we're just talking about the game and he he literally just says to me he goes he goes Astros are done like they have no shot I'm like I'm like I'm like I'm like no offense man. But like you're old, you're old enough to remember 2004. Like you know, I mean, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> like momentum yeah. can swing. And listen, I, listen, the Red Sox offense has been on was on fire for the past you know two games of the series for games two and three. Obviously, they were electric. But you know, I'm just like things can go cold very quickly for a team. What were your thoughts? You know, after seeing what the Red Sox were doing to the Houston Astros, how were you feeling? You know, about about things going into last night. You know, I, it's funny because my, my my best friend's a Yankee, a Red Sox fan, and before the season, <laughs> we were like, "Man, they're gonna have no shot. It's gonna be a bad, bad year for the Red Sox." Oh yeah, Yankees, no. You know, I'm sure you know. And the no, Yankees, trust me, gonna, I was you know. I was on that train because I saw the train wreck that was 2020, <laughs> and I, I I'm not gonna admit it. They were awful that year. I hated that Red Sox team with a burning passion. So yeah. say, so I had. My hopes for the Red Sox team, I, I was just like, I was like, can we at least just like finish third in our division? Can, like, and listen, like at this point, fourth in, a, in the division was like, was a 90 win team. But traditionally, I was like, can we just like be like, you know, a mid 80s win team? Try to, you know, try to like, maybe if we fall out of it at the end, whatever. But I didn't expect us to do as well as we did. Obviously, we had some ups and downs and we could, I think that, you know, we could have had a better season than we ultimately did end up having. But, you know, I was, I was, you know, pr- very surprised. I was very surprised by the developments that this team gave. So, you know, it got down to it and, you know, the Red Sox offense had been exploding for the past couple games, but going into last night, I was just like, all right, uh, you know, where's this thing going to go? And I see Xander Bogarts at the two run home run. My dad was at the game, sent me actually a clip of the, uh, of the home run and of his reaction in the stadium, which was actually pretty electric. You could hear the crack of the, wow. you could hear the crack of the bat from like the left field line, which was it. That was an, that was an absurd home run, but yeah, you know, I was just like, I don't know. I don't, this Astros team like, yeah, like, yeah, we've been beating the crap out of them for the past couple of days, but they're not dead. Like the Astros, no. they got to this, they got to this point for a reason. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the Astros are an interesting team. They yeah. really are. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hand banging the, all the nonsense. <laughs> they remind me of like a witch that just doesn't die. Like <laughs> kind of like, you know, the wizard of Oz where they kill the witch. It, it just, it's like you think it's dead, but it's just not quite there yet. And yeah. the the Astros, you definitely just have to keep pounding them because they're going to come back all of a sudden, you know, going to get a guy like Correa or Bregman, just pop a little, get a knock here, get a knock there, Bregman and, and Altuve. Oh, and no, they're next. Yeah. You know, when, you know, when they're rolling, they're a wagon. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're ridiculous. So, you know, I, I was just like, I don't think you can ever call them officially dead. Like I was like, you gotta, you kind of have to be a little, you know, cautious of them, but I was, you know, pretty optimistic going to last night. And then, you know, obviously uh, Garrett Whitlock, who my friend, uh, who my friend Robert Shelley has interviewed before the season, he got a chance to talk with him, you know, uh-huh. lets up the home run to Altuve tied, tied two two in the night. They bring Nathan Avaldi in, which I thought was a pretty interesting move, but I think, I think Cora was trying to get him and, you know, cause our bullpen, Let's frank. Let's be frank. This year has been atrocious. So he was just trying anything at this point, just to you know do what he could do. So gets Nathan Avaldi in the game, and it's I believe it's a two-two, or I believe it's like a two-two count or something like that. The the hitter has two strikes on him, and Avaldi throws a very very nice curveball up in the zone, and Laz Diaz, the home plate umpire, calls it a ball, and. The very, very next pitch, Jason Castro singles into right field, brings in the run, and we all know what happened from there. Seven runs came across, and a nine-two ball game followed. So, listen, I'm not forgiving. I'm not forgiving the Red Sox for giving up seven runs after getting down like that. You all, you kind of have to also, you know, man up a little bit and you know play better. But what that was an awful call. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I fell asleep before all that happened. I, oh yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, I went to bed right right after uh 
Garrett Whitlock was running in from the bullpen. Yeah. It's like, okay. And, and you could thank the Yankees for him as well. Oh no. He's but... a, he's, he's been a great addition. The rule five draft <laughs> has been a pleasure for us. Yeah. <laughs> the blessing. Uh, but no, I wake up and I see, I will, I will give Heimblum credit for that one. I will give him credit. <laughs> I, I wake up and see Astros tie series. I'm like, bro, really? Like, yeah. come on. And I'm look, I'm a Yankee fan, but guess what? I don't, I, I'm not one of those, uh, very aggressive, angry Yankee fans. Don't, like, really, you come, are. you come across as it. You look, you look, <laughs> very, you look very hostile, Billy. Yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, no, nah, he, he uh, the the Red Sox. I, I don't mind. It. I'd rather them advance than the Astros, quite frankly. And uh, whatever happens in the offseason with Correa happens, whether he's going to become a Yankee or not. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, we'll see you about know, that. You know, listen. I'm not a fan of robot umpires by any means. I think it's a, I I'm personally against the idea of it. I think that it, you know, I like the human element in the game. I like that, you know, if guys are consistent, then, you know, you can have that. And, you know, I, one of the things I think of is, you know, I have a, I had a local umpire back home and we literally used to refer to his strike zone as the nose to toes strike zone, which, you know, as you can imagine, literally just means if your bat can touch it in any capacity swing. Yeah, no, it's, (laughs) it's, Some umps, you know, you know how it is. You saw last night and it's a shame. It was egregious. I mean, you know, and here's the thing. I'll give guys the opportunity to have a bad game. I I mean, listen, it happens to everyone, but Laz Diaz is a, by statistics, he's a statistically bad umpire. And something I didn't realize was I was listening to local Boston sports radio. He hadn't, he hadn't actually officiated a game since September 22nd, uh, or at least been behind the plate, I believe since that time. So, and you know, it's to give guys rest and to do certain things like that. And you know, what people are maybe assuming is that, you know, he got into the playoffs, you know, maybe because he's a good quality base umpire, but why are you putting that guy behind the plate? Why is he back right. there? If, if, you know, you know, he can put him at second base if that's where he's good, but like, don't put him behind the plate. Yeah. What, what do you have? Six umpires? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, have, you have the guys on the right and left field line. And in my opinion, those guys just cause more trouble than, than they actually do. I mean, than actual good. I mean, you have replay now, so they're essentially useless. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing you have umpire percentages why doesn't the best umpires get that opportunity and if in my opinion if you don't reach a certain threshold across the league if you're an umpire of your of your k zone or whatever case may be then you shouldn't be in the league yeah i mean if you're a veteran umpire i'm sorry but if if you get a certain percentage of calls wrong you shouldn't be in the league yeah because that it's it's very tough because of the whole umpires union and all the things going on there it's a very delicate process and i I, I I don't I think with other leagues you can you know find officials and possibly do stuff if they get stuff wrong, but I think with MLB like they're too afraid to do anything to these guys because they're because they're afraid they'll strike and you know if mm-hmm. this is if this is the cream of the crop then I'm scared for what we have for what yeah. we have next. No, it's tough and you're messing with guys' careers. You oh, know yeah. it, when it gets that bad like a game like last night, you're messing with guys' careers. I mean the guy oh, yeah. whoever hit the double. I mean was it a double? Uh, I believe it was a double. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, it, was a, it was a single by Castro. And then uh, as soon as that happened, the uh, core went out, pulled Avaldi and put Martin Perez. I kid you not. I, I, I shut off my, I shut off my T te- the TV app on my phone. As soon as I saw Martin Perez go in the game. Cause I was like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't trust Martin Perez with anything. Yeah. So then any situation pitch a B messes with guys and messes with their careers. You don't know what's going to happen after that. And that, that was a big situation, but yeah. I get everyone's human, but I mean, oh, yeah. it has happened, I mean, listen, happened quite a bit. Again, I I'm fine. If I, you don't need to, I, I hate the, in my opinion, I hate the, like the little box that they actually put on the TV. Mm-hmm. Like it's a cool little graphic, but I think it actually makes umpires look worse than they actually are. I think, you know, even some of the good ones get a bad break because they're not calling it, you know, specifically inside this like invisible box. I think that is kind of a detriment, but you know, I, it does, you know, I, I don't know. You, you do have to kind of, you know, listen again, there's a human element, but you cannot, but you shouldn't be consistently terrible. If you're consistently calling, you know, pitches on the outside corner and that's where you want to get guys fine. But if you're just consistently just missing calls, then, you know, it's, it's egregious. Right. No. And you mentioned robo umps and it's funny because I know quite a few guys who played in the Atlantic league oh, and they use, those. they use the robo umps and, Let's just say the collective amount of guys who I've spoken to, most of them have said that they do not like it at all. <laughs> and it is not great. Uh, I've seen plenty of video this year of guys who had pitches called in the dirt in the other batter's box for strikes. And it's just all a mess. And 
it's something that needs some fine tuning. If oh, yeah. they're able to get it down pat, I think it would be great. But if that's going to be worse than last night, there's no way you can implement that in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. I think there was a manager that I that uh, got ejected from a game with with the robo umps, and you know, <laughs> kind of hearing hearing about that now, it's just like this technology. I mean, listen, it could it could definitely benefit us, but it's also but it also has the chance of just you know being you know just like having those flukes like that. It it's really all up in the air now. Going forward, uh, you know, I'm looking at the game right now, and as of as is this be as this is being recorded, it's the top of the six, and the Astros are currently up one nothing right now. Uh, your Don Alvarez hit a home run off Chris Sale in the sixth, and uh, but you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on. So you know, how do you see this series playing out? You know, obviously it's going to be going back to Houston mm-hmm. now, but you know, I I think the momentum swing is kind of tilting towards Houston. I think that last night was definitely a big boost for them. Obviously they scored a bunch of runs kind of, you know, it was the dagger, but you know, obviously didn't do too much to us, you know, otherwise than that, but how do you feel about this series? Yeah. I mean, momentum's huge in the postseason, especially I see it that way. And any little thing, I mean, you look back to when Eduardo Rodriguez made that gesture with the, the wrist and the time kind of like mocking Correa's celebration that I thought was so stupid. I listen, as a Red Sox fan, yeah. Do I do I hate do I hate Correa with everything in my heart? Yes, I hate Correa. I think that he is kind of a. I think he's kind of an a hole. But I also, but I also realize, you know, the reason the Red Sox had those hot two games is because Correa did that stuff in Game One. He poked the bear. He got us motivated. And I, right. Cora was completely right to get on to get on Erod and, and and say and say, what the heck are you doing? They we're, we're doing so well because they gave us momentum. We don't need to give that energy back to them. We have them exactly. dead in the water like finish them off and then and then do it and or even better yet do it in the tunnel for all i care or in the locker room i don't care like but don't do it so, so where they can see it and, and go and go oh they they think they have it they think they have us like we're we're gonna show up now and you know beat the crap out of them like right. why are you giving them that 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 edge right i mean that's exactly it you don't want to give them the opportunity to get that in their head and then all of a sudden yeah. it's tilting back this way to them mm-hmm. and you can't have that so I really think it comes down to pitching like it always does in the postseason. It really always does come down to pitching. Both teams could hit, and we're seeing that every day. But it really comes down to are the Red Sox able to make quality pitches? And same thing with the Astros. Greenkey, I know, was <laughs> Greenkey's. I, I would not want him on a playoff team. I'm sorry. He, uh, he, he, he looks, like, he looks like a beer league pitcher at this point. Unfortunately, you know, listen, Zach Greinke was one of the most pinnacle guys in the league, had – you know, I think over the, I, I watched a, uh, like a baseball doesn't exist video or a baseball bits video. I forget exactly who made the video, but they were talking about Zach Ranke's career. And, you know, they've, they've talked about how I, he's thrown like over like 10 different pitches that, you know, throughout his, you know, throughout his major league career, which is crazy for most guys. And, you know, he's had to evolve and become like this kind of a crafty righty as John Smoltz was referring to him, referring to him as last night. And, you know, sometimes that can work, but, you know, I, I have to agree with you. He's 37 years old, and he, I don't even, he can barely touch 90 now. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, really. He's an established big league vet, knows what he's doing on the mound. But I think it goes back to him not wanting to play in New York because of the environment. And that environment comes with really all postseason games. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. That could have an impact on it. No, it definitely could have an impact on it. And listen, you know, Granky is an established veteran and can do certain right. things, but yeah, you know, you have to be able to, you have to be able to handle that, that postseason, you know, that right. postseason pressure. I know guys that I know guys at Fenway last night were, were breaking out the Granky chance. You could hear it on, on the video. My dad recorded and frankly, even across the broadcast, it was so freaking loud, right. but you know, obviously a very intriguing series there, but we also have some great developments going on in the Dodgers versus Atlanta Braves series. Atlanta obviously, you know, kind of shocked us by getting off to a to an, an astounding 2-0 lead, doing so on back-to-back walk-offs in their in their uh in you know the first two games of the series in their home stadium, which was actually really which is actually very interesting, you know, especially with the Dodgers having 106 wins and them only having 88 in the regular season. But you know, two miraculous walk-off wins. You know, a lot of people thought they had the Dodgers against the Rose, but the Dodgers last night had a very gutty win against them. I believe came out and they won six to five. Cody Bellinger hit a a very clutch home run. And I don't know if you've seen the the trend going on on TikTok right now where, you know, people whenever Cody Bellinger steps up to the plate is playing Hotel California. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. They've, they've been doing that constantly. And sometimes it goes miserably and like 
and when if he just strikes out, they like they'll just scream at their phone or at their TV because because it didn't work. But then when he hits a home run, they like lose their minds. It's actually like yeah. it's very funny. I will say that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you know the the series. It's you know Braves are still up two one in the series. They have they're facing off they're facing off again tonight. If you know looking at the looking at the uh, uh, pitching matchups, it's Chavez versus Julio Urias. Uh, you know. Not not a bad look for the Dodgers here. I mean, listen, you know, they they proved why they were good enough to win 106 games this year. They are a powerhouse of a team. But, you know, do you think that, you know, Atlanta kind of got the edge early or how do you feel about them in this series? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I really feel that the Dodgers were worn out with yeah. the, the San Francisco series. They give and San Fran gave them everything. Right. That was it was a tough battle for them. So it, it's a spot where the Dodgers might be bouncing back from that. And now they're in a spot where, okay, we're, we're kind of getting re- recovering from that and we're ready to, you know, start loading up and, and hitting again and winning. But, you know, it goes back to the underdog story. I mean, the Braves are the underdogs. Uh, you're facing the bling bling team from Hollywood, <laughs> you know, that's just, <laughs> and you got all the celebrities watching it. I mean, it's tough. It's really going to come down to, like it always does, who's able to play better baseball, but it's going to be interesting. I really, it, it, this is the thing with the postseason. You can never really tell. It, sometimes and there's an outlier, but sometimes you just have to let the game play out and see what happens. Anything could happen. The best pitchers in the game could get blown up and the, vice versa. I mean, you could have a rookie stud who's able to just completely mow down the order. So tonight, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing the guy who I interviewed, Alex Vesia, on the Dodgers pitch well again. I mean, that, that's actually really cool that you uh, that you got the chance to talk with him. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, there were a lot of stories going on, going on with the Dodgers. One of the big ones is that, you know, you know, the deadline acquisition of Max Scherzer has got to be like one of the better ones, you know, if not, you know, frankly, the best one that I've seen in recent memory. He has been fantastic for them obviously sometimes they'll get you know he's been closing for them they've been using him as a starter you know all around he's been a great acquisition for them how do you feel you know about mad max you know going to this going into this he's the same age as zach granke but he looks almost as good as ever now scherzer's an animal and i love it and that deal was great for them they got trey turner i mean i wish the yankees had those two guys it's speed it's all about the mindset scherzer's mindset on the mound is huge Mm-hmm. And a guy like Turner in the infield, and and this is speed. It, speed kills. It changes the game. Contact, getting on base, that's something that the Yankees need. But we're not talking about the Yankees because you know they're we not. Will in this be. Picture, we will right? be. We're not. They're not in this picture right now. But no, the Scherzer. It's huge. It really is. He could come in in any situation. He wants the ball. He doesn't want to come out of the game. And he's a gamer. He's just a true gamer. And Albert Pujols is a guy who's you know end of his career, but. The veteran presence is also huge. It's a, it's an invisible type of presence on a roster. Uh, besides the, the what he could do on the field, he's helping out those guys a lot. Yeah, he's been a huge help for them. I mean, but you know, obviously with Scherzer and you know some of the pitching guy, some of the guys pitching for them as well. You know, one of the things that you know I can't help but notice is that you know we've had like some very dominant starters. You know, not even make it into like the fifth or sixth inning in this in this series. And I know there's a lot of analytics playing into that. You know, a lot of people say you know the, the third time through the order, the batting averages for a lot of guys just skyrocket. That's you know that's the reason that we saw guys like Blake Snell get yanked in Game Six of the World Series. It's the reason you know why uh, Nick Pavetta only got only got taken out after 65 pitches. So you know there's a lot of different ways with that. How do you feel about the analytics side of baseball? I'm you know, I'll, I'll, I'll obviously reiterate my point, but I'll let you go first. Yeah. So analytics, they're using it too much, too fast, way too much. It's just in a spot where they're letting it dictate way too much. Mm-hmm. And analytics is a fantastic tool. Absolutely. But you can't use it more than a tool. It's, it's not meant to be, uh, be the main decision maker for your ball club. I'm sorry. Analytics are used to check with different options that you have. You know what this, the computer is saying to do this. Let me apply my baseball sense and knowledge into this situation and see what's best. 
Exactly. And that's when you make your decision. You mix them. You say, hey, what, what do I think as a baseball guy makes sense while helping, while this data helps me make that decision? Not just saying this is what the data says, we're going to go with it. Because the data can't tell you what the guy's mindset's like. He mm-hmm. can't tell you how he's feeling mentally. And that's just how guys are operating nowadays and managers and organizations. They think that that sheet of paper with all the stats and with all this very in-depth analytics Whatever it's telling them is what they go with. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like you said, Billy, it's it's an extremely useful tool, but it's not a crutch. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't use it as such because listen, all this stuff happens. Breaking now, Uriel, Uri Guriel doubles in the bottom of the sixth, scores now four nothing. So, you know, just a little breaking news there, update for you guys. But obviously, you know, the human element, you know, it's still, it still plays a factor in the game. You still kind of have to, you know, go with your gut every once in a while and, and just say like, and just say, listen, like we do need to, you know, some, the computer may be telling us to do this, but you know, a computer can't factor in clutch. It can't factor in guys, you know, it can't factor in, you know, you know, being hot, having a good feel for, for, you know, for being in the game. It can, you know, obviously take numbers and tell you like, you know, in a statistical probability, what's going to happen here, but all around it, it can't tell you, it's not, you know, if, if it was able to tell you how, you know, what the final result was going to be every single time we wouldn't be playing the game. We would just we would just take the matchups and we would just say on paper, all right, uh, you know the San Francisco Giants had the most. Actually, they don't even go off wins. So I'm, who, who am I kidding? Uh, they're gonna they, they would end up saying you know the Los Angeles Dodgers or whoever you know according to these metrics were the best this year, so they're the champions. That's how it would be played. There's we we play this because of that because of that because of that unknown element, and that's right. you know I think that's the most important thing that we have to still be aware of. I've you know, said many times in this show, Moneyball is a terrific movie. I, lo- I It's a great baseball movie. It still has not worked in, in, in the, you know, in the grand scheme. No one who has done the Moneyball, who has done the Moneyball method has officially won yet. Again, the closest example I will reiterate on this show is the 2015 Kansas City Royals. They still had to go out and, and make a big trade for a guy like Johnny Cueto at the time. They still had to go out and make legit moves. So there hasn't really been a team. The Tampa Bay Rays came close. I would have had to eat my hat on that. So I will give you that. But it still hasn't worked out yet. And I think the blend of, you know, traditional, like looking for those, looking for those five tool players combined with analytics is still the way to do it. The Red Sox have a model that I'm more okay with than the Tampa method where it's just all in. But, you know, I think that, I think it needs to, I think you do need to pull the analytics, the analytics, analytics rather back a tiny little bit. Right. I mean, the Red Sox do do a nice job at mixing them. Core does a great job with that. Yeah. The Yankees, on the other hand, uh, the computer generates the lineup, passes mm-hmm. it down to Aaron Boone, and he looks over. Yep, that's good. And then that's your lineup for the day. And you have Joey Gallo in the tool hole. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah. And as a fan, I'm looking at my phone. I see guys leading off. I say, what, Stan's going to lead off today? And we're going to have this guy in the tool hole. I mean, it just... I just don't get it. I mean, yeah. And how many results do you need to see that it's not panning out in order for you to make a change? Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of provides a good transition into the next topic. You were, you're talking about Aaron Boone, uh, you know, and you know, some of the questionable decisions that he's made over the years, the, it did just come out that, you know, Aaron Boone just signed a three-year contract to remain with the New York Yankees. And listen, I know you've, I know you've appeared on the yes network, so I don't want to, I don't want to push I don't want to pressure you into, into saying anything. But as a Yankees fan, how do you feel about this about this decision? Okay, so it's interesting. They they decided that they're going to keep Cashman and Boone. So that means that they are in a spot where they want to keep things the same in a way, but also build the team differently, which they mentioned in the press conference the other day. Yeah. So with that, Aaron Boone needs to become a manager who is more hands-on and making decisions. Okay. You're going to get analytics, but the organizational philosophy has to change. It's not just Boone. Boone's a great guy. Seems like he, he has respect of his players and his, and the coaching staff. There's not many coaches left on his staff right now. <laughs> but, yeah, fair <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then his, he comes from a great family of baseball guys. So he knows what he's doing. I want to see more of his actual baseball knowledge shine. And do you think, do you think that Aaron Boone has has you know is able to provide that you know he's been very analytics driven you know kind of having a run thrust run stuff through the higher ups, yeah. Do you think he has it in him to you know run to run this team you know traditionally? I think or he least, can, or at least somewhat traditionally. Yeah, I think he can, but it's just the front office force feeding him info to use, and 
that's in my opinion why Joe Girardi is not the manager. Yeah. He's not the manager of the Yankees because he wanted her on his ship. Mm-hmm. And once you know, when Girardi said that's not how it's going to be under my leadership, bye bye. Exactly. And the Yankees wanted a manager. They wanted to try something different. They wanted to put analytics into the organization like no other, except the Rays. I mean, the Rays have obviously been uh, very into that. But oh yeah, guess what? It hasn't worked out. <laughs> yeah, and it hasn't worked out. So guess what? You have it's to the point now where the fans are restless. And you have to make a change. And the change wasn't in the manager or the GM. So the change has to be in the philosophy. So that's, in my opinion, what's going to have to happen, uh, both in the philosophy of how they go about using analytics and how they go about constructing their roster. And I, it's promising what Brian Cashman said the other day. They're going to be adding a shortstop uh, in the free agent market. And they're going to look for a more agile team. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe more speed on the base paths, uh, more durability. And that's something as a fan, as a person in baseball, I hate, I hate, hate, hate injuries and non-durable players. When you're extending guys who are injury prone for years, Aaron Hicks didn't smell a baseball this year. And then he's <laughs> in the postseason celebration. So <laughs> you gotta love it, but it's okay. Uh, you know, but I, I think Aaron Boone knows what he's doing and he's fit for a job. And I think he would have been one of the top candidates for any other managerial position in baseball, mm-hmm. but just let him make the decisions for himself. Yeah. He's able to do it. He's capable. He knows what he's do- talking about. So let him work with the analytics if he wants to, but don't force it where he, that's the lineup. You know, he can make some adjustments and that's it. Now give him what he needs and let him make the decisions. The philosophy has to change. And I think they finally got the message this year. And because if yeah, we no. have one more bad season, it ain't going to be too good. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I I feel like they are. I mean, listen, you know, unfortunately, you know, you guys still are a night. You guys still were a 90 win team this year. So technically you can't it's 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 weird because, you know, the right. Blue Jays who were in fourth place were still a 90 win team, but you're in fourth place. So it's right. it's such a weird dynamic, too, because, you know, it, it's like, oh, we went we went out in the wild card underperformed. And, you know, obviously the Yankees, you know, had, you know, have tr- have trended downward in in some of the recent years with the with the way they've been playing. But, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a, it's very alluring, you know, cause you, you see like, you know, you still see po you still see them in the postseason, but it's almost kind of what, what was happening with the Philadelphia Phillies after, you know, they won when they won the world series. Now, obviously it wasn't after a world series, but it was, you know, that tr- it was that slow, slow down, you know, downward kind of trend until they ended up falling out of favor. I don't think that's going to happen with the Yankees just because of all the money they have and all the resources and talent. I don't think that they'll be down there, especially, you know, at least right now in the, in the present time, but I, but I am interested to see what happens with Boone. You know, I, I didn't think, I didn't think that New York was going to have him back if they didn't win the wild card. I thought that, you know, that there were definitely some decisions that, you know, he could have made better and, you know, could have cost him. Uh, but, you know, obviously we'll have to see what happens over there. Uh, one of the guys I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, hear your opinions on is uh, a guy that's for my sake is on the right side of the Red Sox Yankees rivalry, but for you currently isn't. And that obviously is uh, the $300 million man, Garrett Cole, uh, obviously has had some tough outings over at Fenway Park. Uh, what has been your what has been your thoughts with Cole? I mean, it seems that, you know, he just hasn't been able to do it in at least in these big rivalry games so far. Yeah, I mean, he's a great pitcher and I'll tell you, he'll be a great pitcher next year. Yeah, this year was tough because of the spider tack issue. Yeah, so and, that was something I wanted to talk with you about. So I, yeah. talk, I, I know this guy on TikTok. His name is uh, Joel Flam, better known as Hey Kami on TikTok. Great baseball guy. He's a fantastic. He's a fantastic creator over here, and he's made some videos talking about you know the foreign substance issues and different things like that. And he was you know going after a bunch of different guys. You know Cole was one of the first guys that he went at, but also looked at guys like Corbin Burns over in the Brewers. Uh, you know even looked at Martin Perez in the Red Sox. He wasn't being you know, he wasn't, you know, trying to go after specific guys and, you know, only in singling out, you know, specific teams. He was going out, he was going at anyone that would give him information and, you know, would see, you know, like, like it didn't matter the team, as long as it was happening, he was going after those guys. So, uh, you know, I have to, I have to ask you, where do you, th- where do you stand on the whole spider tech thing? You know, do you think that, do you think MLB is going to try to make a, like a simple regulated substance for all pitchers to use next off season? Like, what do you think is going to happen with, uh, with this moving forward? Yeah, I actually have a can of it downstairs, <laughs> Spider Jack. I was playing with it before. Really? But it, you know, it's an interesting topic because I've spoken to some pro- professional guys this past season about mm-hmm. it and got their thoughts on it. And some of the guys said that they tried using it, dabbling around with it in the offseason, 
and didn't like it. Mm. Some guy, a lot of guys don't use it. They, they kind of resonate to, more towards the good old sunscreen and rosin combo. Yeah. And I feel like th- that might be more effective Honestly. Uh, to a degree. If you're looking to increase spin rate, like you wouldn't believe, then spider tack's your thing. But yeah. I don't believe it's actually spider tack only. It's they have some concoction of, oh, of yeah. different substances. No, each, team, each team I think has like their own cauldron that they're yeah. you know stirring something with. I I don't think yeah. it's, I don't think it's just like the spider tack and you know you, you have to blame this this thing. Which you know I didn't realize what spider tack was at first. It's for these power lifters to lift atlas stones. That's what it's actually used for. Which I didn't know at first. Which is actually kind of crazy. But, you know, I think each team is doing their own little thing. I think that is probably what's going on. But, uh, you know, you know, you were talking about the sunscreen and rosin. I, you know, I played on a on a kind of like a senior Ruth baseball team for three years when I was, uh, you know, in high school and actually the in the summer of my freshman year of college. So I played with them and there's this kid on the team. I'm not going to name him unless I get him on the episode and maybe I'll I'll refer to him at that point. But uh, I, you know, I came by I came by a game this summer to see how they were doing and this kid this kid ends up going yo man check out my arm and he and he did the sunscreen and rosin and like 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 this kid like he was just messing around it's a it's like a it's a screw it it's a screw around Babe Ruth League game so he was yeah. he was just saying like hey man this thing's getting really serious I wanted to try it out and like you know he was he was pitching pretty well not gonna lie yeah. <laughs> it, it, no. I will I will have to say it's pretty effective now this kid I I'm not gonna lie I don't want to call him out, but when he was when he was doing it, he wasn't being like the most like slick with it. It wasn't like he was checking his cap and then going to something. This kid, I swear to you, was on the mound, just like going like this off his arm, <laughs> like looking into the plate. And I'm like, what are you doing? I, I remember yeah. literally have to. I remember like calling him out. I'm like, dude, you couldn't make it any more obvious on yourself. Like, I, like, yeah. like they're not gonna substance check you, but like you're not gonna make like like I, you wouldn't be at fault for like you know doing that. Like I mean, well not not that you're like. Like you, you wouldn't be, you're bringing it upon yourself. Right. Right. You know, it's, I was like, it's you funny. Be joking. No, uh, that's great. No, I mean, have you thrown I, around with it? I have, I've not sunscreen and rosin. I have thrown it's with the spider tack. Spider tack. It's interesting because it's very weird. I, I probably wasn't doing it right because it's there's, I don't see just using spider tack and that's it. There has yeah, to be yeah. some mixture. So uh, something that maybe lasts a little longer that it's maybe less sticky. Cause if you put that on your finger, that that's really, really sticky. It's really sticky. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. But uh, the way MLB went down and just put a complete halt to any type of substance was to me kind of absurd. Yeah. You can't I mean, do that to guys. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to, you know, when I was talking with that guy, you know, he was for the enforcement of it, but he even thought that it was way too abrupt. He, his, yeah. his pitch was, his pitch was, you know, cause I think this, the mandate came out in June. He was, he was saying, all right, give these guys till the all-star break, which is, which at that point was like about three or so more weeks away from, from occurring. He, he was like, give them to the all-star break to, you know, get used to, you know, getting off of it. You know, even if you don't want to like, he, he would have been fine maybe doing something next season, but he was like, you know, give them to the all-star break, let them do it. And then second half, let's just have some clean baseball. That was his yeah. approach. So when he heard, when he heard that he even was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, caught up with that. Yeah. This takes a long time because guys train with it in the off season, they get a feel for it. And then all of a sudden, the next day when you're told you can't use something that you've been training with mm-hmm. it, it messes up the whole game. No. Oh, yeah. You know, you're right. It, it is. De- it definitely is like a, like a difficult thing. And MLB had like, you know, they had like foreign substance rules that they were, weren't really ever enforced in anything, no. in any type of way. So, you know, it, it wasn't that like, you know, this was an allowed substance and it got taken away. It was a banned substance, but you know, the, I guess the crackdown on it was, you know, shocking enough for a lot of guys. So there was that whole aspect of it as well, but uh, you know, a bunch of big stories going on there as well. So I, I will be, I will be interested to see what happens with the, with the collective bargaining agreement there, but you know, there've been a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, talks about TV talks, different things like that. I know MLB is planning to possibly launch a streaming service, but you know, going into the collective bargaining agreement, it seems like everything with baseball has kind of been up in the air. Do you envision a possible player strike going into next year? Or do you think that we'll be able to get through this? I was thinking the same thing a few months ago. I was like, you know what? There are so many issues right now that whether it's with the major leaguers, the minor leaguers, everything going on in minor league baseball, Absolutely. it, man, I, and even the umpires with the, yeah, with no, it's, the rules, 
it could be in a worse spot. I mean, you yeah. know, you brought up you brought up the minor league thing, and obviously there's been like the uh, I believe it's the hashtag fair ball campaign, which is to you know provide like better pay for minor league baseball players because you know let's be frank, they're making absolutely like no money in the minors. Yep. It's actually like some yep. guys like some guys are making like six thousand a year. I'm like that's insane. Like I, yeah. I I saw one guy, and you know I guess like what what the trend might be now is that they're gonna you know a lot of seniors leaving college because college is because. Uh, professional teams know that you know they really don't have any other option besides like an independent league or you know going overseas what a lot of teams are going to start doing is they're going to try to see you know how cheap of a price they can get guys for and you know some guys that would be owed like you know like a even like a 20 or even like a 50 something thousand dollar salary has now been turned into a two thousand dollar salary for some guys which is actually crazy yeah now i've been around so many guys who I mean, independent ball, you don't make much yeah. at all. And, uh, you know, it's it's a shame, but I'm very encouraged to see what's going on with the minor leaguers providing housing for them. Yeah, that was a big development. And that's huge. I mean, obviously, it's something that should have happened a while ago. It should have been yeah. happening now. And But hopefully this is a step in the right direction for more to come for them because I see firsthand the grind that they go through and how difficult it is and how they're treated. Oh, yeah. I see pictures and and just oh my god it's it's rough it's really yeah. it's rough they it's they they can't live off of that and the billion dollar industry and and the owners how much money they have they need to take care of these guys because they're the future of their organization yeah they definitely need to take better care and I mean you know even when they have sometimes even when they have the amenities they sometimes will still not even do this so I don't know if this was before uh, Steve Cohen and uh, uh, you know like the Cohen, you know, like ownership took over with the Mets, but the, I believe it's like the Mets, I believe single a affiliate or Gulf coast affiliate. I'm not too sure, but I believe it's the points, the Port St. Lucie Mets. And uh, like they, they actually operate during, during, uh, during the major league season out of the Mets spring training facility. Right. And the Mets spring training facility has an amazing locker room. It's like some great amenities. It's, um, it's amazing. It's amazing to see, but during the regular season, they turn it in, like they turn this, very great facility into a storage warehouse and they have the, and they have these, and they have these minor leaguers to like live in, you know, and have to, you know, you know, essentially deal with, you know, this very, you know, like low class, like trash locker room. And I'm just like, listen, I understand if you're tight for budgets, if your stadium, you know, needs some repairs and you need to, and it's kind of a tough, it's kind of a tough decision, but when you have the amenities at your disposal and you're purposely taking it away, I'm like, it just seems stupid. Like I remember there, their explanation for it was, was saying, oh, well, we, we want them to earn their way out of it. And I'm just like, they're playing single A baseball. If they have any competitive edge in them, they're going to, that's going to come. Like, yeah. listen, I'm not, I'm not going to be sticking around playing single A baseball just because I like the locker room guys. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the the saying in indie ball is if you don't like it, play better. Yeah, really? <laughs> that's just, that's what everyone always says. I don't like it, play better. That's it. Oh, Get right. out of here. You play better and you're out of here. But uh, I mean, going back to the locker rooms. Yeah. I mean, the Yankees too. all these spring training sites, they have really nice facilities and they're only, they use, you know, a portion of it during their season, but I'm really encouraged to hopefully see a lot of these other big league teams make use of these new facilities that they're building. And hopefully across the board, every team will have a nice structured environment for their players and much better living conditions so that's something that is encouraging to see and hopefully with that new structure with the 40 teams eliminated and and the yeah. money that's being re you know uh, designed and obviously to, to the teams build. eliminated that that was a that was a big blow too i mean i know the idea of I, I know it was able to allocate a lot more money but that even that was actually pretty unfortunate though that they were that you know, that had to happen as well to, you know, kind of get to this point too. That was, that it's was tough. tough. It's tough I mean, for the cities, especially the people in the cities, oh, yeah. it's really tough, but luckily a lot of them have been able to transform into either collegiate summer leagues or independent teams. So you're still having baseball played in those cities. Yeah. That, that, that's what I'm in. That's what I'm hopeful about. I mean, I know for, uh, for Massachusetts, there was a team note. There's a, one of the Red Sox former affiliates was the, uh, was the Lowell spinners. Uh, they're, I guess they're trying to make a, they're, they're going to try to make some sort of a comeback and try to, you know, make their way back. So um, I'm right. hopeful for that as well. But Billy, I think it is time to now say that we are now down to the wire, uh, which means that I'm going to do a quick little run through what I talked about in this episode, and I will send everyone on their way. Obviously, welcomed in Billy Pinckney into the podcast. Thank Billy. Thank you so much again for coming on, man. It was a blast to have you. 
I appreciate it, Brian. It's been a great time talking some baseball, a lot of great topics, and uh, definitely keep in touch. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I I will definitely try to get you back on, especially during some off-season talk and some things like that. Can't wait for what's going on next there. But obviously, we talked to you about how you kind of got your start as a bat boy for the New Jersey Jackals organization and worked yourself up within there. We talked about your appearances on on the Yes Network and being able to interview some very high-quality guys. Uh, one 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 of the things I did forget to mention is that uh, you did get you uh, were actually working a podcast with a uh, with former Red Sox player this year, Taylor Motter. That was actually really <laughs> cool. Got to see that and and was that was actually pretty cool with that because I remember seeing this guy get up to the plate and it's during September call-ups. So yeah. you know I I'm sometimes I you know if you if you're not paying attention you don't you don't realize what's going on. And I remember seeing this guy in the mound. I was like was like see a pitcher like what's going on. And I was I didn't know what was happening because yeah. you know. I, let's be frank, like, you know, t- you know, all the credit to Taylor in the world, but there are some other guys too, where, you know, you'll hear about guys and you'll, you'll be like, who is that guy? Like, I remember asking my dad, I was like, I was like, Oh, who's pitching. And he goes, Cutter Crawford. I'm like, I'm like that, that, that can't be a real person. And then I looked yeah. it up, Cutter Crawford's a real person. He made his major league debut. So, you know, go figure that that's what happens there. But, you know, obviously we talked to you about everything going on with the, as well with the, uh, postseason series between the Red Sox and the Astros and the Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. And we discussed uh, Aaron Boone's rehiring as the New York Yankees manager. Very interesting situation going on there. And we wrapped things up talking about the whole situation going on with minor leaguers now being provided housing, all the issues going on there, as well as whether, you know, whether possibly major league baseball will have a player strike. I mean, who knows? There's been so many problems going on with, with major league baseball. Hopefully they can get it figured out because Let's be frank. I'm not trying to lose any. I'm not trying to lose some baseball this year. I want to actually I want at least next year. I want to be able to have a good regular season. We have we already had an abbreviated se- season in 2020. It was a pain in the you know, you know where. So I'm not really trying to have to do that again. But hopefully that can all work itself out. And, you know, hopefully this postseason continues to be as exciting as ever. We will obviously have the coverage for you there. But if you guys are not falling down the wire at this point, what the heck are you guys doing? We are available everywhere you guys can find podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. But the main hub you guys can reach us through is our Instagram. You can follow that at down.tothewire. Again, at down.tothewire on Instagram. Billy, anything you want to shout out before we head out? No, I appreciate it once again. Yeah, Billy the Bat Boy on all platforms if you guys get a chance. And uh, it's been a pleasure coming on here. Absolutely. Uh, But, you know, I think that is time for us to now wrap it up. So from down to the wire, I'm Brian Costa and Billy Pinckney and have a great day. You guys, we will see you guys next time. Take care.